millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome to our new podcast. This is episode number one of the Unnamed Podcast. Um, with me is Aaron Vague of Innovative. Uh, Hi, Kim. And Glad a- to be here. Aaron is from uh, Whitby, Ontario, up here in the Great North. I'm from Toronto, by the way. Um, with us as well is, is uh, Mark Rubin of Smapsoft down in San Jose, California. Hey, guys. And we also have uh, Jaime Lopez, from who's working with OfferUp, and he's out in um, Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Okay, so I guess the, the first sort of topic... Um, that's been buzzing around is is this whole indie uh, indie app disaster implosion, um, which is kind of interesting because Mark and I, who work together quite regularly, uh, have been having this discussion for over a year now. Um, Mark uh, Mark company Smartsoft was an indie development company. Is that correct, Mark? Yes. Yeah, and uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell us what's been going on in the last you know eighteen months or so with with yourself and what's been happening in the valley that you've been seeing. Yeah, so, yes, Mapsoft has been around uh, probably since 2008, 2009, and in the early days, we did do a lot of our own apps. Uh, lately, past couple of years, I've been spending more time with startups and doing consulting work, uh, just simply because that's, you know, that's a, an easier way to make a living, to be completely honest. Yeah. In the last week or so, there was a, a post by um, Brent Simmons who asked, of the indie developers out there who's still, you know, active in the indie environment um, and, and what they're doing. And uh, it seemed to kind of explode on the uh, on the Twitterverse um, because everybody had an opinion about it. A lot of us who want to be independent have not been able to do that, right? Um, uh, I, I suppose in one way that uh, smart startups are about the only way you can sort of be an independent um, and I listened to a podcast uh, release notes this afternoon where they talked to Jared Sinclair, who posted online his his earnings for the last couple of years with his app called Unread. And um, it's kind of interesting that, you know, it's kind of neat that he disclosed that, you know, for the rest of us to sort of take a look. 
Um, but, uh, you know, to be honest, looking at the money he made in the last couple of years, uh, you know, we only dream of making that kind of money. Hmm. <laughs> Any comments on that? Well, for sure. I do. I mean, <laughs> uh, Aaron here. Listen, um, you know, I think it was uh, amazing that he made that kind of money, to be frank. Um, I've published uh, three apps in the iOS and the Mac app stores, and I I haven't cracked $1,000, much less $30,000. Um and I think my experience is much more typical. Um, so I think Jared uh, did an amazing job, and um, I think he should be commended. Obviously, he's not happy with the results, and I think that's simply because for $30,000, you can't make a living on that. That's not a viable business. Um, and it's those numbers are probably not going to get any better. So he's got this problem of where to go from here, and he feels he doesn't have anywhere to go. And... Um, that seems to be the essential problem for indeed businesses, which are sort of in the model that they're in right now, extremely hit driven. Uh, it premieres, it does its business and it dies, um, like a mayfly. And, uh, that's just no way to run a business. And I think all this, uh, discussion around indie business in the last couple of weeks, um, has, if anything, uh, reminded us that if we want to build something, uh, it can't just be a mayfly. It's got to be something sustainable. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that more. I've got a lot more to say about that, but others should chip in. Yeah, it, it's interesting to use the word business in your conversation there because that's one of the things that, that you know, I've been I've been running my own business since, you know, 2005, um, partly out of, out of necessity. But um, And I came at it from a different perspective from IT system admin kind of work and, and uh, always did websites and stuff like that as well on the side. I've been doing PHP since around 1999 or 2000, when it was unpopular, um, and sort of saw that sort of rise up as well. But uh, but so I've always sort of been at, coming at it from the point of view of, of building a business, not building an app necessarily, right? So my experience with, with, with publishing apps is, is, is dismal, um, but but not, not unintentionally because I published a couple of apps because I just wanted to build apps and get them out there and throw them up on the store and see what happened. And with no expectations of making a living just from that specific pursuit, because, you know, I, as a consultant professionally, that's, you know, when I, when I look at doing apps, I do look at it as a consulting gig as well. Um, what do you, and Mark, um, you, you and I've talked about your successes and, and lack of, you know, yeah. big so money. I'd actually, I'm always hesitant to, to say this, but I actually had several apps that were on the same order of magnitude of, of what the, uh, of what Jared was saying in, the, in this blog. And but two years ago, I kind of came to the same conclusion that he did, that thirty dollars to $50,000 is, is not quite enough to, to build a sustainable business, and that's why I started looking at other types of things to do. Um, so I, I can't say where things are today because I haven't really been active in publishing my own apps in the past couple of years, uh, but I can't disagree with anything. <laughs> yeah, when I met Mark in, in 2011 at Macworld, and um, and you know I was sitting at a table, and I was I had this task to build an app, and and he just happened to be an app guy sitting at the table next to me, next to me being interviewed by a um, an online game reviewer, right? I forgot the name of the company, but yeah, it was actually uh, uh, Touch Arcade. Touch Arcade, right? Yeah. And, you know, I just sort of leaned over to him after the, after the interview was over and I said, hey, are you a developer? And that's kind of how we struck up our conversation. And, and Mark and I built an app, like, you know, I guess six months later together. 
um, and we've been working together ever since, um, on and off. So, Jaime, what do you what, what's your sort of take on this whole thing? I know you follow the, the threads that are online as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cross discussion that's going on right now, and it it's sort of because there's so many different aspects to us, right? If we go by Brent Simmons's blog, if I recall correctly, his was more like you know iOS indies in particular, and not folks who are doing both Mac and iOS, because the right, right. Mac App Store certainly seems to be a completely different animal. And uh, somebody like a Daniel Jalkut, I think, could probably attest to that if he was uh, if he was here. But then there's also sort of the you know what sort of business are people trying to look for? And, and there were other folks who came out and said, you know, this isn't going to be you know, something that will give my children a, a, a sustainable future or that I'll have, you know, a yacht and huge mansion. But, you know, it's a lifestyle thing where, yeah, it, it allows me to be here with my children now. Yeah. And so, so that's something that I think people need to separate out when they're talking about, you know, what does it mean to be an indie and, you know, what's success versus what's not success. Yeah, I always tell people my commute's like 30 feet. I go from, you know, the third floor of my house to the first floor. You know, and in Toronto, where we get hit with snow in the wintertime and, and driving's a horrible experience, you know, to be a great advantage to have. What do you want to say, Aaron? Well, I was going to say that, uh, you know, being indie is definitely a lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely part of that as well. Our, our, our stories are very similar, Tim. Um, but, uh, you know, with the I work remotely and... Uh, I believe in creating my own things. I want to create my own products. And an indie developer is someone who wants to create their own product. The problem is, is that this gold rush mentality of the original app store has sort of overwhelmed reason in terms of creating a product that is a business. And so for those of us who want to be independent, living on our own and making our own money, without having to deal with clients or without having to deal with a boss. Um, this is the, the best path, and it's a dream that I've been pursuing since at least 2007 and maybe longer. Um, the problem is, is the gold rush is over. Oh, it's, and, been, it's been over for a couple of years. Yes, it has. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and th this, this avalanche of blog posts has really brought it home for everyone, I think, that that's over. And, but what does that mean? And I think it's really important to realize what that means. Um, and frankly, I think it means that um, this long-held conceit that you can have a successful business by building a quality app, that all you have to do is make an excellent app and they will come. This is something that, uh, that I've held on to for years. I'm, I'm ashamed to say it now because... Um, the, the simple fact of the matter is that's just a damn lie. Well, I always tell people Field of Dreams is a movie, right? Invented by Hollywood. If you build yeah. it, they will come. Um, but that's Jared Sinclair's dream. You know, that's that's why he is where he is today. Because he felt like the world didn't need another RSS reader. They, it would have gotten along just fine. Uh, Jared's conceit was that if he built an awesome RSS reader by his own lights, that the money would come. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to let go of that conceit. Um, I really admire his work. He's an amazing developer and designer. Um, but, you know, his, his story is proof to us that we have to do way more if we want to be an, a successful indie developer. And by successful, I'm not talking about rich. I'm talking about making a living, making a good living, uh, being independent by yourself or maybe with a partner, uh, building apps. 
Yeah, no, and, and I and I totally think that 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 still that opportunity is still there. I, I think it's fairly, fairly safe in saying I'm the oldest person in the room here. Um, and and I remember the desktop publishing thing. I got into desktop publishing near the end of, of its sort of bubble. Um, and I remember when people were making crazy money for doing, you know, for doing electronic publishing. And at the same time, we were also running up against the old school who didn't know what it, desktop publishing was and <laughs> why we even needed it, right? Um, and I also lived through the the whole web, um, you know, in the in the late '90s. Uh, you know, I, I had a buddy of mine who was doing like five page websites and charging fifteen thousand dollars, you know, for five static web pages. You know, those are the days. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and again, I had an opportunity to dive into it then, and and uh, should took another path. And but I, and I come back to it. So I, you know, having seen this come back to where we are today is not surprising. Um, but I do want to bring up a point that, that Jaime made at, um, at 360i Dev last year. He was sort of saying, hey, you know, technology, new, new sort of technology advances, correct me if I'm wrong, Jaime, by the way, um, you know, have a 10-year life cycle. And at the time, we were in the fifth year, sort of at the middle of the run. Um, so do you want to expound on that, Jaime? Yeah, so I, I think I had mentioned the fact that, you know, over that 10-year cycle, there's you know, at the very beginning is a huge gold rush. There's hardly anybody there. There's a lot of green open field to get to. And, you know, the gains are easy. And you'll see these, you know, largely indie successes, right? It takes a while for uh, the larger folks, the more entrenched folks, and uh, you know, enterprise and, and even in gaming, something like the big boys, like an EA to get into the business. But they do come, right? And they either flood the market with other things that are, you know, VC funded or... um you know, it just drive the price down to, you know, to the bottom. So there's what we've seen with the iOS app store in particular. And once you get past the midpoint, it starts really becoming, you know, if you're going to differentiate, you're going to have to dislodge, you know, an existing, um, you know, tenant in that niche, or you're going to really, really, really have to find uh, your little area that you can compete on. And it sort of goes in these cyclical booms. So if you look at what the web happened over that 10 year cycle from let's say, you know, roughly 97 to 2007 ish, there was that aspect, right? I, I do remember the, Hey, look, these, these guys quit high school and, and they're, they're getting 200 K offers and they're getting Ferraris and all sorts of things because everybody and their brother needed a website. They didn't know why they needed a website, but they needed one. Right. And very similarly with the app store from, you know, call that 10 year cycle from 2008 to the upcoming 2018, it's the same thing, right? Everybody suddenly realized, hey, yeah, we didn't up. Even a big, you know, honking behemoth corporation like a Boeing's like, oh, we need apps too. We don't know why, but we need them. And it's a really good time for indies to be in there and, and innovate and get a lot of the, the price benefits like, oh yeah, we can charge $10 for this app. We can charge $50 for this app. It's new and then there's nobody else there. Um, or the large corporations can pay us, you know, millions of dollars to do something that's, you know, you push a button and crank it out now for some of these apps that are, that are out there. And, and I think that's really where we, we've, we've really come to this sort of watershed moment where, as you guys said, people are realizing this now and it's really upsetting people because it was, you know, high times and now not so much. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I think the whole, the whole gold rush temptation thing is, is, is a, is a misleading um, uh, entry point for, for a lot of people who want to get into the game. I mean, I get, people all the time, you know, because I teach and I blog and I get people all the time who call me and say, I've got this great idea. And I'm like, that's nice. What's the idea? And, 
you know, it's, it's usually something that's not possible or, or they have no idea what's going to happen. Um, uh, I was going to mention that, that, uh, I saw Charles Perry talk in, in, at, uh, NS North in Ottawa and he, he had, had most inspiring thing for me on the whole weekend was his talk on market driven development, which is basically you find a market that has some sort of need that you can provide a tool for and you build that tool and, and then you, you obviously charge for it. Um, and that was a different kind of perspective because like, like Aaron was saying, and I, I suppose I had drank that Kool-Aid too, that, you know, you build an app and, and it's going to, you know, fly off the shelves. But, you know, the reality is, is it's, it's a lot of work to get the word out. But, you know, it's sort of interesting to have to build a, a, an app for, for purpose. And I, and I had actually done that. I come from a system admin, IT guy kind of, you know, world. And I had already built the app, you know, three years ago that does fit that need and people still download it to this day and i the, the problem was because i was focused on the other goal of building an app that's just going to fly off the shelves i never thought about the fact that i've already built an app that has the potential to 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 be something to me you know um I, i'm not you know I, part of my problem is is that i don't want to build i i get bored with things quickly i like to build new fresh things and i don't want to sit down and maintain them for 10 years afterwards right <laughs> Which is, which is, I think that's that's the reality. Is that's where that's where uh, app development has to go, um, and I do also believe that that uh, you know, much like if you watch TV commercials on TV, you know, they always used to end with "and follow us on our Facebook page" or you know, "follow us on Twitter." Now they're saying "and download our app," right? So I do think there's a lot of lot of work to be done for independent developers or entrepreneurs, let's call them, who are going to go out there and build apps for companies. You know, I, I, to be honest with you, I've never really been paid gobs of money to build enterprise apps. I've built a few of them, but, you know, but there is opportunities out there. Just need to get the word out that we're the guys that can do it for you. You know, the the fact is that you're talking about these business type apps as if they are um, trends, you know, that they come and go. And I like the idea. I prefer the idea, I should say. Of, of apps being built that have lasting value mm-hmm. rather than um, just filling a need, you know, describing companies as wanting mobile apps uh, because they don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's any way to, to live and uh, to make a living. Um, you know, if, if I think what we can all agree on here as, as app developers is that iOS and even the Mac uh, provide real value for actual users and we want to build businesses that tap that value um that's sort of my raison d'etre when i get up in the morning i'm trying to build something that does that and part of that um involves trying to come up with a a sustainable business idea um and it just you just got to get right back down to basics something that i think a lot of uh wannabe indies don't do um, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, uh, more so probably because I've made so many shots at it. Um, but I think you really have to look at the market and, you know, find your niche, just mm-hmm. like what Charles Perry was saying at, uh, NS North last year. Right. Um, you know, and there's so many needs out there. And I, I think that there are, there are a ton of opportunities for an independent developer. Um, and I think one of the keys uh, and there's several, but one of them is is just sticking to it for the long term, doing exactly what you don't want to do, Tim. Which no, is, no, exactly. Yeah, like, that's yeah hang I mean. in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Keep swimming. And, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like five years, you know, that's that's your your horizon now. It's uh, something that you've really got to stick with and improve. Nobody's going to take you seriously if you only ship a 1.0. Um, but you know, on top of that, you need you need a business plan. You yeah. need you need a reason that your app is going to succeed at all. So you need a route to the market and a way to make money. Uh, that's sales and marketing. And these are things that app developers don't necessarily have any expertise in. They have to learn it themselves or find someone who does know it. Um, and that's a huge challenge. Um, but if you want to be an independent developer, you've got to wear all these different hats. You know, like building the app, it's the thing that, that, that got you out of bed. But that's not the thing that's going to make you successful. Yeah, well, and the whole thing of you hit another nail on the head that I was that I was trying to bring up with people, and that's you have to market your app. You have, and, the, and what I learned again in S North was um, that you have to get the marketing ball rolling two weeks before you launch. Like you have to like that if first more. that first you know that first day on the app store, you have to be going full speed ahead because you can't be expecting that. Oh, we'll let the first couple of weeks you know get us the momentum, and then we'll pick it up and go from there. Um, I had personally had an app that was was doing really well in Russia on the first week. I got twelve thousand downloads um, in a week, and I thought, "Oh, that's great! I'll just turn it up to ninety nine cents now because I put it up for free." And I immediately killed the app, and I've never been able to recover from that. Hmm. Right? Even after it's it's free now on the App Store, but but you know the Russians, the, I had that opportunity, that window of opportunity, and I blew it because I didn't understand at the time that was that was the way to go. Right? So, well, what should you have done? Well, uh, yeah, again, who the hell knew? Who, who knew it was going to take off in Russia? I mean, I built it, you know, it was an app I built with my grandson just for fun. And we thought maybe, you know, some kids would have some fun with it and he'd you know, be able to go to school and do a, you know, I built an app with my grandpa, you know, thing at, at show and tell and that would be it. And, and yeah, it just kind of, it just started flooding. I, I had no idea what to do at the time, right? You know, and, and, and exactly like, if, and if I had put it at 99 cents, would it have even sold one copy, right? Hmm. But within that, within that, for, but that was that was you know that was two years ago when when you could put an app on the App Store and it would kind of it would kind of slope to the top. You know the App Store. That's another another subject for discussion. I think is is the fact that the App Store is broken. I think we can all all agree on that. Um, you know, I I remember at WWDC, you know, five years ago they had a display on the wall where they showed apps on the App Store being released and falling to the ground like a snowflake. And you know, Aaron and I both know what that means and. You know, <laughs> shortly, you know, within within minutes, there's like a thousand other snowflakes sitting on top. And it's like, and that to me told me, a, and the analogy I got from that wasn't as impressive how many apps are being released, was how quickly your app gets lost. You know, it's like a snowflake in a blizzard, right? Absolutely. But I don't think we can count on Apple to fix the app store. No, no, no. We, and they're, and they're not going to. The reality is they, they when they launched the phone, they didn't even want apps. They, they wanted right. to build all the apps and create the experience, right? So us pesky developers who, who went in and jailbroke our phones and, and figured out how to write code um, were the ones that, that, that uh, had them rethink it and, and approach it and come at it with the App Store. They're, they're more interested in selling phones than iPads. I hate to say it. I hope they're not listening. Oh, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I think we, we can only view the App Store as a distribution mechanism. That's, you know... That's all that you need to see it as. Yeah, um, and, and it actually is it's actually a very convenient distribution mechanism. As, it's as some, having had to sell sell product in my myself for the last fifteen, twenty years out of your out of duress, um, having the app store there is great for that perspective. Absolutely. 
it's it's a like there's never been an easier path to getting your software on somebody's device right right you know even even with all the problems that it has um you know we'd like to see trials we'd like to see upgrade pricing um we'd like to see hell uh video previews you know in your app descriptions um but you know i don't i don't know if any of that stuff's going to happen no, and I, and I do know that Apple is cl- is currently cleaning out, uh, or they have been for the last year, cleaning out the um, the the lists of, of apps that haven't kept up with with upgrades, the ones that aren't doing yeah. iOS seven and uh, and aren't and, and don't have compelling experiences for the users, are not getting featured. You know, um, that's sure. another reality that a lot of developers have to take into consideration. Right. I mean, you look at the like when I mentioned sales and marketing opportunities. Um, you know, one of the things I would say that does not include are featured by Apple or even featured by the media. You know, I don't know. That seems to be the default position of a lot of these apps that they look for reviews from uh, the tech media and they look for being featured by Apple. And neither of those things, and I think Jared Sinclair mentioned this in his post, um, gave him any significant bumps um, in his, his revenues. And he, he was both featured by Apple and uh, in the media. Yeah, well, Mark, Mark and I can both speak to that because we, we've both had the experiences where we've been on on the front pages. Mark, can you jump in with your look again? And, and... So my experience, I've had two different types of experience that relate to what we've been talking about. Uh, the first one was you mentioned the, the pre-press and, and trying to build up uh, some, uh, some buzz before you actually release the app. That, coincidentally enough, when, when we first met that time at Macworld, that's what I was doing. That was a, that was a pre-release meeting. Right. Uh, before the app even went out, it was about a month before the app went out, and I was demoing that to some of the key bloggers, uh, and that actually turned out to be pretty amazingly successful. Uh, I had been written up a couple of times in some of the big blogs about this app, and then when the app finally did come out, uh, it got a, a big, uh, much bigger than, than typical in my experience, uh, first few weeks, uh, and in fact, it, it did go onto the front page of the App Store, and I, I have to think it was it was somehow related. So, so I would say that in my experience, that has made a, an enormous difference. Uh, now, given that there was the very quick roll off on that particular type of app, so it was kind of a, it was a big burst, and then a, and a fairly fast decline. Mm-hmm. Um, contrasting that, uh, two of my other biggest hits really were not so well publicized, publicized at the beginning, but they were very niche apps, one in the, in the poker space and one in the music space, music theory space as opposed to listening to music. And those have both had pretty good sustaining success over, over the past few years. So I think, I think there's kind of different approaches. There's, there's a, do you want to reach as many people as possible very quickly uh, and in, in and get that big bump at the beginning and, and try to get that, uh, catch that wave that'll take mm-hmm. you to the top. Uh, if you're gonna do it that way, then yeah, you absolutely need to get as much press as you possibly can. But if you're going for more of a niche crowd, there's you can get sort of a slower build where you kind of get the word out in, into a smaller community who talks to each other. And, right. and if you keep going and keep improving the app, then, then it can work there. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think that's the ideal target for this kind of business if you're trying to build an indie business. You're talking about um, a horizontal attack versus a vertical one, you know? And to my mind... Um, an indie has a much lower chance of succeeding, uh, appealing to a mass market. Um, you were both lucky and skilled. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I think, you know, your, your success with your niche apps, um, is a lot more explicable to my mind because, um, you were, you knew who your target audience was and you were able to speak to them. Right. And the marketing that we did was very targeted. We, we found the the blogs and websites that were directly related to those areas, and we started talking to people there, going on forums and and uh, getting people to write about it in those niche areas. So it's a, it's a smaller audience, but it's an audience that's much more likely to buy your app if they're interested in it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a marketing plan right there. Well, and I think that the, the, I mean, I'm in this for the long haul, um, and that's, and I've always sort of been there. I mean, you know, I, I even while I was developing websites over the last, 10 years or so, um, I never expected it to be as big a part of my business as it is today. Um, and that wasn't even a goal. Um, you know, and it's funny because it's, uh, you know, as the app work dies down, the website work picks up. In fact, as soon as I'm done this call, I have an emergency web job to work on. But, um, you know, and, and when I was building web stuff and doing Java and learning all, you know, HTML and PHP and all that stuff back in the day, I was doing it because I like doing this. I have a passion for doing this. I like building apps. I like working in code, you know. What do you guys... I know. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're here. So and and I think everything else is like, you know, supporting that. You know, how, how do we, you know, position ourselves to continue doing that work? I'm yeah. So I've, I've, oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I think it's sort of a continuing battle, right? Like, I think we've kind of touched on a lot of the topics there, but you know, I I do think that there is a, a place for you know creating something great, you know, a, a work of art, uh, but it's definitely going to be tough, right? I mean, there's definitely the apples of the world, and they're very successful in sort of the uh, the big hit sort of way. But there's also the Samsungs and the Xiaomi's of the world, right? The, the fast followers. I mean, look at the number of of apps that I assume must have made tons of money after Flappy Bird was in the store and then went away and there was this opening there for the fast followers, right? Like that's that's certainly not something I want to do. I don't really want to be the clone builders. You mean the people who built the clones or Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Not that not that I had planned to do that either. No. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a soul-sucking kind of, of deal with the devil sort of work, but, you know, it certainly must have been very effective, at least just looking at the download totals, right? Um, and I think for the indies that are looking to do sort of the, you know, I, I want to do something great. I don't want to just build another Me Too kind of app. I think it has to be, you know, a marketing push has to be right up front with that, but not just 
a huge push and then just walk away. It has to be sort of sustained. I mean, even look at somebody who has uh, a built-in audience like a Mark Arment. And he's been talking about Overcast for well over a year, right? And, and the folks at QBranch doing uh, Vesper were talking about the app, you know, for months and months and months, even after they released, right? And, and nothing visibly had come out yet. And now they've come out with their big feature. And they're still talking about it, right? They're they're going to conferences, they're doing blog posts, they're doing all of these different things, they're doing, you know, everything that they can. And, and I don't know if they're paying for ads or not, but but that's the other area too, right? There's there's Facebook's mobile app install ads, there's Twitters, and you know, all sorts of things that that can be there. Well, you can even right. talk about Revolution sixty from that perspective, because I mean, Miranda Wu has been talking about Revolution sixty, you know, for the longest time now, and and you know, we're all we've all been anticipating it coming out and, and getting a chance to play it, right? Um, and that's sort of, that's sort of the thing I'm talking about is like, you know, what I've learned in the last year or so is that, that, you know, getting your, your name out there, getting recognized, getting to be recognized as the dev with the hair, you know, um, is, is something that, that, that people kind of, uh, link into. And then, and then all of my work that I've done in the year over the years has always been by word of mouth. Right. So whether it's a, a marketing campaign that, that starts to make familiarity with you or you show up at conferences or you speak at conferences or teach or whatever, you know, it's get it's getting the word out there that, that uh, this is what you love to do. And, and um, <clears throat> I, I, a couple of sage pieces of advice that I was told in the past was if you're good at what you do, the work will come was one of them. And um, and the other one is, of course, uh, Simon Sinek, you know, the, the guy who wrote the the book on why and, and people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it right hmm. yeah so speaking of since we brought up apple i wanted to jump into a couple of other things that uh, every year apple at you know wwdc comes out with new technologies or, or throws a wrench in the works so obviously ios 7 and having to retool our apps was was a big uh big headache i'm still i'm probably three quarters of the way through rewriting my apps to, to accommodate ios 7 before apple pulls the plug on ios 6 um, and of course, and then there's also one to talk about Swift. So do you guys want to jump in on either of those two topics? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about some of the things coming in iOS 8. Uh, Cloud Kit, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Health Kit and Home Kit are, are interesting. Um, they're, maybe they're not revolutionary, but they're, but they're interesting. Uh, I like some of the things that they're doing with the adaptive layouts. I mean, I think we can, we can see that, that, uh, there's more, phone and pad form factors on the way soon. Yeah. Apple's telling us that, and, and they don't want to go down the Android fragmentation path. Sure. Uh, and Swift, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, obje- I, I love Objective-C, but the more I play with Swift, the more I like it. Uh, there, there's a lot of nice things that you can do in, you know, one line of code that used to take a lot more code hmm. than Objective-C. So, so I, I think there's, there's some exciting stuff happening. Have you guys had a chance to play with Swift at all, Jaime? Or you know, I've only really looked at some of the the playground stuff, and I haven't gone super deep in it. And and part of that was just sort of trying to prioritize everything. I mean, WWDC was huge. I mean, that was a huge number of things to to go into, right? And I, I kind of thought that okay, well, Swift would be you know a, a burn over two years, you know, before everybody's you know largely using Swift. But from what I'm seeing, you know, with people posting uh, tutorials and blog posts and people on podcasts, like, it's much faster. It's going much faster than I thought. And I think within six months to a year, I'll 
definitely have to be pretty solid at it. I mean, even uh, Matt Thompson of uh, AF Networking fame had come out recently, just just this week, I think, with Alamo Fire, right, as rough equivalent to AF Networking. Right, right. And, and that one was really surprising to me. I was going to say, didn't Apple lift the NDA on, on that stuff? Because, I mean, you know, you never would have seen any sort of new technologies being blogged about or... or unless it was an accidental posting or something. No, not at all. The NDA is pretty much uh, kaput in terms of all the new technologies announced at DubDub uh, this year. Oh, really? Um, okay. All the videos are public. Um, so uh, you can freely talk about it and blog about it. Um, I love Swift too. I think it's fascinating, but uh, it really is a moving target right now. Uh, and so much is changing. Um, it changed when it yesterday, came out, didn't it? Yes, it did. It changed uh, significantly. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> the week after it came out, I thought, okay, I'm starting a new project and I'm going to use it. I'm going to use Swift for it because uh, it's going to be iOS 8 only. Um, but I had to give it up because there was so much broken in it, uh, you know, with the tooling as well around uh, Swift. And then after every beta came out with significant changes to the language, um, it just didn't feel like something I could work with for a production application. Um, so I'm taking a wait and see approach. Uh, I'm going to wait for uh, 1.0 to come out. And then actual have have actual documentation, and then learn it uh, for sure at that point. But uh, I have no plans uh, to retrofit anything. Oh, oh God, no! Existing apps. I, I don't think I'm even going to consider that. Uh, but for the future, uh, well, I'm still starting projects in the C right now, uh, and, and I do tend to agree that it's yeah. Let's give it six months before we really do anything real. In it. But it's so fun to play. Mm-hmm. There's no question in my mind that a year from now, I'm almost certainly going to be using Swift for every project I'm working on, but uh, not right now. I, I think that's my feeling too. I mean, it, um, both from like a, a personal app standpoint and, and of course, you know, my, my day job, it, it's really difficult to migrate everything over and, and really it's not cost effective, right? It'd be more just for giggles and fun and, and developer uh, intrigue. Um, but for new stuff, I think absolutely right. Just like uh, I think a lot of folks have been making the same kind of decision for, you know, is my new app going to be iOS 8 only? And I, I think with the uptake of, of iOS 6 and 7 in the past, I think a lot of developers will be doing that as well. Yeah, I did that with a few apps this year when I when I rolled them out as I, iOS 7. I had, you know, I, I consciously made a decision when I rewrote some of them that they were going to be iOS uh, 7 only. And, and the reality is the adoption rate of iOS 7 sort of precludes the fact that, you know, it, it came, it's taken over so much that uh, that I can't see iOS 8 being held back on people's devices, right? Um, Mark, you kind of mentioned the iPhone 5.5 or 6 or whatever it's going to be called. What do you guys think about the new technology, new, new rumors of iWatches and, and things like that? Pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I think the, the new screen sizes are pretty pretty much a done deal uh, unless they've got us completely fooled um so so i kind of like that um you know as my eyes get worse as i get older i, I like the, the bigger screens more and more right uh, the the iWatch uh I, I think it's to be determined what you know what that'll be and and uh, how that'll you know how that'll affect things um we certainly haven't seen a lot of success from any of the competitors with their early versions yet so right so it'll be interesting to see what happens there yeah if maybe it's like maybe it's like the ipod watch you know everybody had the ipod and then they could have a like an analog display and they went and bought a wristband and the next thing they knew they had an ipod on their wrist you know yeah i kind of wonder and this is pure speculation at this point if 
the uh, app extensions that they introduced in iOS 8, right. about them, are really meant to be long-term, the, the way you get an app onto something like an iWatch, you know, a very lightweight version of your app. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting idea. Extension, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like the widgets, right? Or the, what do they call this dash code? Um, I have a hard time believing that there's going to be an iWatch, to be honest. Um, at the very least, right now, we have no idea what job it would be doing. And that's that's been the most difficult part for me in accepting that this might even happen. Um, everything I've heard, every idea I've had from, you know, the Pebble originally with its notifications um, to Samsung's uh, terrible visions <laughs> about it. Um, you know, everybody talks about health sensors and, you know, connecting to your phone is sort of a satellite device and um even taken together i i worry that that's not going to be a compelling enough experience to get people to spend who knows how much three hundred dollars on a watch um you know is this worth apple's time I yeah i don't that. see it either and and but I've, I've famously been wrong because i remember when the ipod came out and i thought to myself who'd want who'd want to carry around digital music and then, uh, and then when when the I, I was at the keynote for the iPhone and, and thinking to myself, why would uh, why would Apple want to you know build a phone? But uh, I was wrong twice before, so who knows? Maybe wrong again about the about the watch. I don't wear a watch, so I don't see. I, I really and I and I tried wearing one of those Nike um, fuel bands last year. I used I wore it for about a year, and it just drove me crazy. Right, so. Yeah, those use cases are going to be super important because right now I think I, uh, I I don't know for sure if there will be a watch. But boy, almighty, do I want one, right? I mean, it solves all these first world problems that I have, and and really, they're first world problems, right? I, I'm I'm walking around at a rather brisk pace. It it sure would be nice to not have to stop and pull out my phone because it barely fits in my pocket as it is. And with a giganto 4.7 or 5.5 iPhone 6, uh, it's an even bigger problem for somebody who's, uh, you know, first world problems flushed with cash, such as uh, such as myself, right? Like it, and, and that's the thing. I'm not sure that it's really compelling enough as you guys have said for a you know this sells 15 million units per quarter at even some of the cheaper prices right right but it's funny that you mentioned the first world thing i always think that what are what are we going to do as ios developers when the zombie apocalypse comes and they don't need apps anymore (laughs) (laughs) why don't you tell us about your new uh your new big fruit uh idea Okay. Uh, well, thanks for letting me tell you. Um, it's just a newsletter weekly. Uh, every Friday, I'm going to come out with a single page uh, newsletter uh, just covering the the most interesting things that happened in the world of Apple in the previous week. Um, it's sort of an experiment, really. It's just a, a way for me to sort of exercise my publishing muscle, which has atrophied somewhat over the last few years. Um, I started off in that business. Um and uh, it's sort of a, a way to see whether a different format uh, is worth uh, anything in terms of kind of escaping that cycle of, you know, we have, you know, 50 stories a day and uh, most of them are crap, not worth your time. Um, I, I wanted to digest the news uh, for people in a rather visual, visually attractive format. And so that's what Big Fruit is. It's at uh, bigfruitmag.net. Um and uh, I'm going to be publishing again on Friday. And you can sign up, have a, an email received uh, when the newsletter comes out, uh, and tell your friends. Okay, cool. The last thing I want to do, I think we're just before we wrap up, is um, I want to ask you guys what uh, what apps are you sort of seeing out there that are, that are 
interesting or uh, and, or what you know ideas and technology and posts or whatever are you seeing that are that are uh, kind of uh, you know getting your getting getting you excited or whatever um, Jaime what do you what do you what do you got what do you see that's happening out there I think what's interesting is how people are, are really trying to figure out freemium so that it's not a four-letter word right so it's not the 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 candy crushes or some of the more abusive uh, terms. And I think uh, apps like Revolution 60 and Overcast that really turned the app into sort of a, you know, semi-trial free version uh, in, in the case of, of Revolution 60 or in the case of Overcast, really just, um, you know, a, a pretty complete app experience minus a, a few extras that you get for plunking down your, your full price. I think that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, it's not really technological. It's more of on the business and marketing side. So, what, uh, sorry, what is what is Overcast? I'm not familiar with that. Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if you're kidding or not. I'm not kidding. Oh my god. Oh really? Oh okay. Um, if I ask the question, what do you guys know? What's going on out there? Uh, so there's this guy, uh, Marker Armit. He uh, one time developed Instapaper and uh, and the magazine. Um, you know. Uh, one of the folks on, on ATP.fm and uh, Overcast is, you know, it, it's a podcatcher or if, if people still use that term, uh, I'm currently using it to listen to podcasts. I, I was previously using Downcast. Well, like I said, I'm not a big, big podcaster myself, but uh, <laughs> maybe that'll change. Uh, um, maybe. Sorry, I kind of lost Aaron there. Um, so what do you, what do you think is going on out there? Exciting and new and shiny, Aaron? Well, um, one of my my big bugbears about you know the whole mobile revolution is your data everywhere, and so I'm always fascinated by apps that span all platforms and give me my data wherever I am. Um, so actually, when I started uh, Big Fruit, um, one of my first problems was how can I make sure that I capture the stories that are going to contend for the next issue. Uh, no matter what device I'm using. And I did a survey of the apps out there and tried to find something that would let me do that. And I settled on Evernote um, because it has uh, iOS, like iPad, iPhone, and Mac clients. Um, and if I'm in a pinch, I can use their website. Um, but I'm not happy with it at all. Um, it feels very uh, weighty to me. Um, so it's like one of those situations where there can be you know, more competitors in that space, even though there's this elephant, if you want to excuse the pun, um, uh, Evernote uses an elephant for its icon. Um, um, but that sort of thing, like, you know, you could, you could take that, um, that idea of ubiquity of data and apply it to many different types of app. Um, in fact, I'm working on one right now, like my next actual indie business app that I'm developing at this moment um, is going to rely on that ubiquity as well. Um, and I think that's something that uh, indie developers have to think of. I'll give you another example. Uh, Justin Williams, uh, developer now of Glassboard. Um, one of his key issues really is supporting Glassboard on all kinds of different devices, iOS, Mac, um, Oh, maybe not Mac, but uh, he's on Android and Windows Phone. Oh, is he? Poor guy. Yeah. 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 He he inherited those platforms when he bought the Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
Um, so that's something that he's he's sort of had to adopt as uh, as a, as a skill on his own part, uh, learning how to program for Android and for Windows Phone. So, um, but I think it's kind of uh, table stakes, you know, when your your business um, doesn't necessarily rely on Apple. Um, so you have to have a business plan and an app that spans platforms. It's interesting you brought up Evernote because I, I have a, a sort of an, a, a piece to throw in there. One is that I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of, of data everywhere either, simply from the security point of view. So that's one of my bugaboos about, you know, people putting stuff out there and being cavalier about it. But, um, and I've had a lot of problems with, I mean, I'm a big fan of using iCloud and letting it sync between my phone and my iPads and whatever. But in the last year or so, iCloud has been totally unreliable on my on Notes as as an app, right? Um, yeah. So I like to use Notes on my I use it on my phone, on my iPad, and my Mac, and and I have two Macs that I work on regularly, and everything's out of sync and has been for a while. And then you know I was I would think I was at 360, and I was taking notes, and and uh, and I kept losing things. And one of my biggest problems with with um, with Notes is that if you start a note with a date, you know. And you and you edit it later. It adopts the the modified date, not the creation date. So right, right, so you right, can't right. so you can't you know it makes it diff- really difficult to find things later. I hope Apple is listening to this part because it, it would be nice for the no, fix. No, it. they're not. They're but, not at all. Thank you, Aaron. Um, no, no. <laughs> but uh, but what which is ironic because it brings me back to the very first app I downloaded for my iPad when I first got one in April two thousand seven was Evernote. Evernote. And I and but the first roadblock for me was that I had to go in and create an account and. I didn't bother, and then a couple of years later, I was I was at uh, somewhere in the states, and I, uh, San Francisco, and I actually went into Evernote and I created a note. And then what I've been doing lately is, if I have something important I want to keep track of, and I'm at like a 360 iDev or whatever, I'll actually open Evernote, take the notes in there instead of instead of using the Notes app. Of course, yeah. And then you know, then of course, you've also got you can you can open it up on your Mac, and you can open it up on your iPad, and you know you 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 have access to it. And from that perspective, it's great. But I don't think I'm I'm not a total Evernote user per se, but just for the notes taking part of it, I'm, I'm a big fan. Mark, what do you what do you got? Oh, I, before before Mark jumping into your uh, thing there, um, you've uh, your uh, what was it the uh, Chinese poker? You had a. a Users could play pretty much the whole game without having to do an in-app purchase. Is that not correct? But you had in-app purchases as well, right? So in, in the Chinese poker app, I didn't have any in-app purchases. Okay. Uh, it was sold as a premium. It's kind of a premium app. It was a little bit more expensive than, than your typical standalone app. Uh, but, uh, but there were no in-app purchases once you got in. It's a little bit different than the standard type of poker app where you might want to buy chips. Uh, it's, you're more competing against other players. Uh, rather than it's not so much of a gambling app, so in-app purchases didn't really fit so well. Right, right. Yeah, but again, I was I was targeting it towards a, a niche market of people who already played the game in real life and loved the game, uh, and so those people were willing to, to pay, you know, a, a pretty reasonable amount to get the app. Uh, in fact, it was pretty popular amongst the the pro poker set in Vegas. Wow. World Series of Poker. There were some uh, a couple of years back. There were some YouTube videos of some of the poker pros playing the app and showing the app on on the, on the screen in the video, which was kind of fun. That's cool. So, yeah. but what what apps or or technologies are you sort of? So, so I'm seeing a lot of social still social networking stuff, new social networking and whatnot, and I, and I'm not sure that that's uh, an area that 
people should be getting into now because it is so crowded and it's pretty hard to differentiate one from the next at this right. point. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. Also, the other thing I'm seeing a lot of is uh, enterprise. Um, the recognition of, of bring your own device is, is there. So, so uh, this uh, this is I guess is similar to what Aaron was saying about the sharing of data uh, across platform. You know, once you've got an enterprise where people can bring their own phone, you have to support everything and and and, uh, and make uh, tools that work everywhere. So I, I see a lot of people talking about that now and here. Hmm. And you know, and you know that to, the corollary to that is um, is that iCloud is sort of a non-starter in my mind um, if you're using it to build like a data backend for your app um, because uh, it's it's a silo to Apple devices. What I really? think about Kit is is that you can actually build an app. Now I wouldn't I wouldn't build an enterprise app doing this, but but you can build say a game app without any kind of backend server using sure, sure. and I think that's sure. interesting. Hmm. Well, and the other thing too, Parse just announced today that they've got a PHP kit, which is or SDK that they've just announced. So, for oh, me, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done a couple of apps where, um, you know, you have data sharing between two two people, and um, the uh, um, so I built my own servers to do that, right? So with with uh, MySQL backgrounds and stuff like that. So. Um, that's going to be an interesting thing because I have looked at doing using Parse for a few apps and, and actually now that it's got the Facebook tie-in, that's something that's kind of interesting as well because you can use the Facebook marketing muscle to sort of hoodwink people. I mean, uh, convince people to download <laughs> download your app. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was what we call a faux pas, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I don't really have any, any apps to uh, contribute other than I can say that, that uh, I've been playing with Mon- Monument Valley um, and just about every every 10 or 11-year-old that I throw that at is just, it, just like sucked in for like, you know, a couple of hours. So it's kind of an interesting app. Um, okay, well, I got I, another bid. bid uh, I don't know if I told, I told some of you guys, but um, I have a uh, tutorial that's launching on Ray Wunderlich's site the third week of August, making music for for uh, your games using uh, Korg apps. I'm a big fan of Korg um, apps. It's one of the few places where I've actually spent money on, on apps. They're, they're not cheap apps. So there's a, an app called Korg Gadget, which is really quick to build uh, build soundtracks if you're into that kind of stuff. Okay, so um, I guess we'll wrap up. Um, Aaron, where do people find you? Uh, my blog, aaron.vay.ca, um, or my website, uh, bigfruitmag.net, where you can read my weekly newsletter. And Twitter? Uh, at Aaron Vay. At Aaron, as V-E-G-H. Yep. V-E-G-H, A-A-R-O-N-V-E-G-H, yeah. Wow, I really hope we get a, a really cool theme song with that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, um, on the web... Uh, you know, I have my own blog, uh, Um available also on Twitter, at devwiththehair, and I am still actually active on app.net at uh, devwiththehair as well. Yeah, so just, I am, I, I mean, I'm an app.net user, and so is Aaron. What's what's the story with app.net? Is it dead, gone? Dead, it's toast. Died? It's totally moribund, and, and, you know, there was some rather unpleasantness that I... You know, we can go into offline uh, at, at some point, um, but it, it, it really was. It never really took off after the initial, 
you know, we're angry at Twitter and we're a successful Kickstarter push. And uh, probably about a month ago, some rather key people uh, left both app.net, the organization, as well as stopped using app.net, which was unfortunate. Well, join us next week. We'll be discussing app.net, obviously. Um, Mark, where do people find you if they want to find you? www.smapsoft.com. That's uh, with an M and two Ps. Uh, or on Twitter at Smapsoft or Facebook, Smapsoft. Okay, cool. And I'm Tim Mitra. I'm at IT Guy Technologies in Toronto, it-guy.com. And Tim Mitra is T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and that's at Tim Mitra on Twitter. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. We'll, uh, we'll catch up next week, I hope, and uh, we'll try again. Thank you. All right, thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.